Hey folks, welcome to the Mountain and Marsh Podcast, an outdoor-driven podcast where we also go in on and talk shit about pretty much anything. Hope you enjoy. Also, if you enjoy this custom music, this was produced by Stephen Mathias Music. Find Steve on his website, www.stephenmathiasmusic.com. This podcast is brought to you by Ward Business Group, Central Maryland's premier construction management and general contracting company. They are licensed and insured and provide a full range of services and products. Their services include, but are not limited to, lawn and landscape, excavation and land clearing, welding and custom fabrication, and snow removal. They also have products for sale, such as sand, stone, mulch, and firewood. Ward Business Group serves Central Maryland and the surrounding areas. Ward Business Group is an affiliate of Invisible Fence brand of Carroll County and Invisible Fence brand of Delmarva. Check them out on Facebook via their website, or you can contact Justin Ward with any inquiries at 410-984-4020. Hi, everybody. I'm here with uh, Dylan and Justin Ward. Justin, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody? Uh, Justin Ward. Um, grew up in Carroll County, went to Prince Scott Key High School, um, 29 years old, and uh, just grew up farming, doing construction, and uh, really taking a hold of businesses and trying to build brands and stuff like that. So uh, currently run Ward Business Group. A lot of people know me from uh, invisible, the Invisible Fence World, training dogs and uh, doing pet containment and working with uh, sports dog brands and stuff like that. Um, but now we've reached off into uh, War Business Group where we're um, primarily in lawn and landscaping, um, doing excavating and farming and welding. And uh, we work around the tri-state, so um, just trying to be out building relationships. And we're up to 20-some guys now, I believe is what it is. So... We're rocking and rolling and uh, just trying to navigate this crazy world. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Especially where you have set up shop here. It's uh, it's hectic around here. Anybody doing any sort of construction work or anything, it is cutthroat and crazy around oh, here. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. Definitely cutthroat. Like I said earlier, the writing's on the wall around here for this, this <laughs> year, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, we're not going to uh, be afraid of failure. So mm-hmm. Yeah, you guys stay super busy around here? or yeah, for the most part, we do a lot of work in Frederick, um, mm-hmm. Westminster area. So, um, and the good thing is, is we're kind of in the maintenance world. So, I mean, there's always stuff that's got to be done maintenance wise mm-hmm. on pro- people's properties. And not only are we in the residential, we're in commercial. So, um, and w- on the pet industry side of things, uh, with invisible fence world, I mean, everybody's got a pet. So, uh, it's not like you're going to get rid of your pet right away once they're family. So, <laughs> yeah. you got to take care of them. Yeah, I can't tell you how many 
uh, times I've hit dog fences <laughs> with excavators. <laughs> oh, yeah. That that were no- normally only because they were outside of LODs, like the people mm-hmm. tried to make their property yeah. a little bit bigger. And then it was in the woods and I hit it digging. But Yeah, damn landscapers and <laughs> excavators are our nemesis. <laughs> well, they keep you in business. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, this area, like we had talked about before about construction, like this area booming so much and um, over the years and to the point where we're getting restricted now and work is kind of flowing in certain directions now because the major thoroughfares are so built up, they can't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. And now it seems like the work's pushing toward us, which it's nicer being closer, especially with fuel prices. It's also, you know, it sucks because this is where we live and the reason that we live here and enjoy it is because there's nothing right right and like we were talking about earlier uh covid really uh made this area grow with people because they were moving out of cities they wanted to Mm -hmm. to broaden horizons and get out where the fresh air is and yeah uh i mean i I just don't know where the world's going to go in the next five ten years but i know i've gotten buddies that are talking about like this is kind of the hardest time they've ever had selling uh projects and stuff like that because uh it's it's people they spent a lot of money through covid because they were at their home they wanted mm-hmm. to spend a lot of stuff on what they had and uh now we're getting into a time where they've done spent that money and now they're we're going into uh well inflations and cost of goods of everything is just oh, we're, we're looking at a recession coming at yeah. some point like yeah. it's gotta happen yeah so i mean it's kind of hard selling right now but uh i think the biggest thing is anybody that can educate their clients and uh educate what we're doing and stuff like that that's gonna that's gonna pull money out of people's pockets and yeah. be willing to spend stuff so did you see that video of biden falling off his bike oh yes. yeah yeah that that's gonna be us with our retirement funds it's just <laughs> oh, gonna, yeah. we're just gonna everything's gonna flop <laughs> yep. and we're all just gonna be yep. screwed yep. so i i, I kind of feel bad for all the people who are of retirement age right now mm-hmm. and they were like all right 2022 like we well, have we have a guy who just did it at work and he's, you know, 2022, my 401k. Yeah. And then he looks in there, he's like, I lost $80,000. Oh, yeah. Well, that's crazy. That's I, so I'm very familiar with that just because my operator is of age. He's been collecting his retirement and he's still working because he can, he can afford to live off of his retirement stuff, but he's just not comfortable living just off of that because – of all the shit that's going down going on with like the price spikes on everything and shit like that so set like he's he should not be working he should be sitting on his couch eating whatever watching his shows he's out there busting his ass at 67 or something like that years old and it's just like i feel bad for you man but could you imagine i mean think about what it's going to be for us though like is there really going to be a retirement for us I mean, the age always, the, the quote unquote age always pushes back. You all, See, like if you have investments and you have a 401k, it's a little bit easier. But if you're somebody who, and a lot of people nowadays who are of age were told when they were younger, oh yeah, no, you just use your 401k. And when you're older, you'll just live off that. And now you're looking at like uh, three green peppers cost $5 now. What? Like <laughs> I can't even make dinner for yeah, less than yeah. twenty bucks now. Like, oh, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it, yeah. the first time I walked in the grocery store and the guy was changed. This was like a month ago, and the guy was changing all the signs. I'm looking around. And I'm like, it's like buy two for four dollars. Like and I look over, it's like head of lettuce. Like what? Like when did that happen? Like all of a sudden everything. Now my grocery bills 
a double. I'm like, yeah. oh, cool. That's great. Yeah, as a business owner um, and having people come to me that want work, I mean, they basically want like insurance. That's a big thing now is, hey, can you pay for my insurance for the whole family, not just myself, but um, the 401k retirement and the IRAs and the stocks and stuff like that. People are asking all these questions. I mean, they pretty much, as a business owner, they they want you to help with their bills and stuff like that. And um, as a business owner, I, I, I believe I'm an HR-driven CEO where like I'm more about what the person wants and stuff like that right, versus, yeah. versus uh, you're just here to work for me. You're a number. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best way to be nowadays too. Yeah, really. yeah. I mean, people appreciate that more. People um, come to me. I mean, what we do is not easy work. So, I mean, especially this time of year when it's a hundred degrees outside and right. who wants to go mulch somebody's flower bed or, or dig a trench, you know, <laughs> standing so, on filter fabric. Yeah. yeah. It's 120 it's degrees high, yeah. radiating <laughs> off the filter fabric. We, we mow, uh, we mow solar panels and stuff like that. And I mean, it adds a 20, 30 degrees to that area with all them solar panels out there. So, I mean, who's, who's going to want to do that, but everybody wants the benefits now too. So, um, business has got to be able to provide that. So, I was I was always told as a, right when I first started working, my mom and dad were both like, make sure the benefits are there. So, yeah, I think I think that's a everybody's wanting it now. It used to be you just made enough money in in comparison to the cost of living that all right, you can still live. Nowadays, you have to worry about all those little things. And especially if you have a family or whatever the case may be. And so it, it makes it tougher when everybody, the stress levels go up, especially this time of year. It's a hundred degrees. Everybody's pissed off because everybody's dollar equals 30 cents nowadays. Mm-hmm. Like it, I, it's understandable. I, I get it, but I, I laugh right now. Cause I got kids that are helping us through the summer right now. And they're only juniors and seniors in high school. And we're paying them $17 an hour. I'm like, I never started out at, Seventeen dollars an hour for somebody. I worked on a farm with no benefits for nine dollars an hour. Yeah. yeah, that's how. I mean, that's how I started out farming and milking cows and stuff like that. And you, you started out six, eight dollars an hour. So, and you thought that was big money, especially because of the hours you put in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we always do a segment on here, um, and I was not prepared for it technically, but called "What's Been Pissing You Off" at the beginning of the show, and we all just kind of go around and say something. Um, so I can uh I can kind of start off and I this is something I had written down for other shows but I'll go ahead and knock this out. So I saw a housing market ad the other day that had my mind twisted up cuz I when I see something like this it's just like uh I always I got some old Stoger books sitting up there uh, hunting catalogs with guns in it like Winchester Lever Action guns for like 60 bucks or whatever brand new. And I always wonder what's the what's the uh, difference between then and now with inflation, and maybe it's maybe it's comparable. Well, I see these houses; they were in Miami along the beach. There, it was a three bedroom, one bathroom with a carport, and uh, this was in a Sears catalog or something. And it was a brand new house already built, and it was in this catalog, and it was like. Um, I want to say it was like thirty thousand dollars, nineteen fifty five. So, I, I was like, I told Deidre about it, my wife, and I was like, look at this, like, look how crazy that is. I was like, but I guess the difference in money. And then a lady on there said, "Here's the di-. she did the math, and she was like, I did all this math, and she shows it, and she's like, 
it's actually this house technically per what our dollars worth would be like 90 some thousand dollars and that she looked up the house on zillow and it last sold for like four hundred and ninety-five thousand. And I was like, "See, this, see, it doesn't always add up." That kind of yeah. irked me a little bit because I'm like, "Yeah, like it's hard for people to purchase homes nowadays." Mm -hmm. If you want land, sorry about your luck. Like it's just how it is. Like we made out like a bandit on what we have here, like almost four acres. But it's just it is insane to me. People who, you know, young people who are trying to make it. Back then, you probably could make it as mm -hmm. a younger person with whatever you made. And nowadays, it's like, sorry, you're not going to get a new home. You're probably going to live in a townhome packed in a, in a little development or whatever the case may be, but you're not going to have a standalone home. Like, It sucks for kids trying to make it now. I understand. Yeah. It's like I beat, I beat that spot where I graduated high school and like I made it just enough like a couple years before yeah. everybody's screwed now yeah. Mm -hmm. so yeah that's just what kind of has been irking me but now if i could piggyback off that real quick we just had an adjacent farm sell for 1.8 million and it only appraised for eight hundred thousand. i mean somebody's gonna be upside downwards on that <laughs> well is it did, do you know if they bought it for development or just the farm it, it's gonna be the farm no stuff and nowadays, farming isn't even like worth. Like, oh, you man. talk to anybody, and they're like, "This isn't even worth it anymore." Yeah, I just I'm doing it because I did it as a kid. <laughs> yeah, I, that that's a that's a scary thought too. Like you had said earlier about the trajectory that we're on around here. We know what's coming. We know that farms are selling and getting developed. Land's just going to continue to be more scarce. So yeah, it, it's scary to think that. Now those tracts of land are selling for even that much, even that much more, and it's hard. Now it's really hard for anybody who wants to be a farmer or wants to start something of their own. It's unless you're like if you're trying to farm, it's impossible. Mm -hmm. like, you can't. You have to be born into yeah, it now. Yeah, you can't even buy a yeah yeah. You can't buy a farm nowadays to be a farmer. I mean, you could, but you're spending a lot of. Money. I mean, just just from a business perspective, the equipment nowadays. I mean, you it's almost cheaper to lease it than it is to mm -hmm. try to buy it outright equipment fuel the cost like if just just speaking farming the cost the cost of to get anything built now because on their end so if you need sheds or barns or stanchions that's going to cost you way more now material you know what i mean like mm -hmm. every little thing down the road for just someone who wants to say i'm going to get a bank loan and be a farmer no, you're not because you're going to be bankrupt. Yeah. Like it's kind of simple. Like you're going to be bankrupt. So yeah, it's, it's scary to, to think about that as someone who grew up you as well. And Dylan, like someone who grew up in this, in, you know, in the Carroll County area and even here where we're at in Gettysburg, just above the line, this area as well is starting to see the growth. And so it's, it's just pushing all these people just like me who, Grew up hanging out on farms as a kid, riding four wheelers, hunting and fishing everywhere, and and then it just disappears. And then you look back and oh well, we got to drive. You either gonna stay here and drive an hour, or two hours to go do that down the road, or you're gonna end up moving. And then being farther from your work, it's like yeah. a, you know what I mean? It's like you're you're against the grain right now for sure. I could see how anybody who owns a business would just be. Like a business in construction with fuel prices and, and things, the cost of equipment, 
It costs a material like stupid. Like we do well, pipe work. That's like dumb. Us. That's like us. We're I built. I work for a home builder, and we're like they're pushing us to like dig these holes and stuff, <clears throat> dig footers and shit like that. But um, like there's there's times where these houses have it's an open hole. It's just the footers without the walls or and stuff. For one, because we can't. This is what pisses me off because. They're pushing us to dig these holes, but we can't get concrete because concrete's like almost impossible to get now. Mm-hmm. With, and like if I if I dig this foundation, I could dig a foundation and have it formed up ready for concrete in three days. It's gonna it took <clears throat> I just talked to a guy that I work with. It took him a week and a half just to get a concrete get concrete just to pour footers. And then you gotta add walls on top of that, which is freaking triple the concrete that a regular footer would take and it's just like it's it's crazy because and then back to the very beginning so it takes forever to get the concrete and then lumber prices are absolutely insane so we we stopped building specs specs are houses that obviously aren't sold we stopped building specs because lumber prices and shit were just like through the roof and that was what was keeping us busy as us, us as like the footer crew was keeping us busy, but now that's that's like done now. So it's it, it's crazy how yeah. When we is- pull our P and Ls, and a lot of times the past two to three years, your material cost was maybe twenty, thirty percent of your total income or mm-hmm. or your gross profit or your yeah. gross income. And now I looked at just today, it's getting to be forty percent of what our gross profit or gross income is and then you look at your labor costs and that's that ideally you don't want it past 50 percent, but it's getting to be 50 60 percent because everybody needs more money to to survive nowadays so mm-hmm. your labor cost is going up so i mean right there half of your money's going on your gross income i mean yep. for a business that's that's not very healthy at all and you, you, when you're looking at it, your cost of materials is half of what your labor cost mm-hmm. is. And it's insane. That's that's it's just. Insane. I I give I give like these small companies a lot of props for being able to do what you're doing with the way stuff is now because I I I don't see how it's possible. You got to be super stringent. You know, it it makes everything tighter. And like I said earlier, everybody's a little bit more on edge. And then you know, from your position, Justin, you're trying. To be the the good boss, who's but then you're more stressed out because you're worried about bids that you probably made back before the material cost. What it does now, we run into that all the time. You know, I just got two sticks of twelve inch Schedule Forty on my job to do one. I'm doing an entire pond conversion, a big pond conversion, and one dewatering device on out of, out of one structure. That's a twenty thousand dollars structure. They're, it's $40 a linear foot for this 12-inch Schedule 40. And they don't even come perforated. We had to perforate all of it. You know, it it, it took two hours to lay everything out, perforate it. I had to go to Lowe's, get new bits because we were burning up bits. Like, we do all this to do this one singular piece. We got to pour concrete underneath of it. Like, we had to order a load of twos to put around it. And that, it's one single piece. Like, something that if the stone's there and the perforations are done – already it would have took me like two hours to do and it's just <laughs> the amount of money it took to make that one thing it's like yeah wow like mm-hmm. it's just it, that, and that's one little piece of this giant puzzle i'm putting together 
and the the thousands just add up and yes. add up. And you can only I can only imagine you the same as me. Like when you have to order more material on a job, you just want to cringe right now. It's just yeah, especially if you 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 only had what you bid for and somebody because you, you always want to toe the line of like, do I make do I make this connection or like do I tell these people I'm sorry but you're gonna have to pay up because yeah. you're like now i gotta run to brs and try to get more pipe or now i gotta mm-hmm. and it's just it's you know what i mean and right now that's even harder you can't make these friendships sometimes now because now you're like all right like i have to or i'm gonna lose money yeah here. oh yeah so it's you know it, it's very tough it's very tough for sure right now yeah and i know um i mean kind of what we're talking about here is uh i mean pisses everybody off taxes oh um, god the way taxes are working now, we're, we used to pay quarterly taxes. Now, since COVID, we're paying every two weeks. And it's not like $2,000, $3,000. It's $8,000, $10,000. Is that a stipulation of the government was backed up on money after sending all those checks, so mm-hmm. they were asking for it quicker? Yep. <laughs> then why did why, why did they send the yeah, money? Yeah, like, yeah. Why give it to us? Well, yep. I don't, I don't understand national debts and things, but I just think about the billions and then i'm like you're worried at home you're gonna screw us but you'll send money to like look ukraine's ukraine good you know good for helping them out but we need help too Mm -hmm. and then you're gonna screw us you're not gonna screw them you're gonna make relations and y'all politicians are gonna make money off this and we're all like everybody's hurting everybody's hurting yeah you know what i mean it's yeah and i mean so that's that's what really is hurting us right now is we're having to pay back what we were able to get through COVID and uh, the businesses are going to pay for it. Not, not the, not necessarily the, the just individual folks itself, mm-hmm. but um, that's one of the things that are really hurting us. And every two weeks they want eight, $10,000. So <laughs> that's insane. Yeah. That, and, and taxes in general too, we're going to just continue to see that rise uh, because they have to cover the cost. They have to continue to cover money they sent to Ukraine and yep. like, and whatever. And, and so, and I kind of have a different perspective on it as a business owner. I think I should pay a little bit more taxes and stuff like that. But when, when I have to pay eight to $10,000 every two weeks, that's kind of a little insane. That's, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's understandable that a business to stay in business, you had to play by the rules. I understand that. I personally think that the government does has way too many stipulations on things like that because at one point capitalism and the United, like the way the United States was set up with capitalism and all it, it was if you could just start doing something you could make it. Nowadays it's like you better have backing or take a fat loan to even oh, yeah. start something or you're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So I it's it's hard it's even harder for people nowadays to to survive to live and to even think about starting a business nowadays and when you i didn't even know that like when you say something like that it's like jeez like yeah i just i can't fathom the fact that they didn't think about these things before making drastic decisions to keep everybody at home and then just give them free money Mm -hmm. it was like and i have to laugh like i'm an hr driven ceo but at the end of the day i I told um we're a family business so i I mean i talk to my mom talk to my dad every day and i'm like you know the way I, the way you got to go about business, you got to be an asshole to, to run a business nowadays because there's, I mean, people are, are just struggling. They're going to start stealing. They're going to start taking, um, not, not to talk bad about any customers or 
employees, but I mean, they're going to want to save as much money on the project as they can. Mm-hmm. Uh, your employees are going to want to make as much money as you can. So when you get to 20, 30 employees every day, you got somebody asking, hey, can I make some more money? Can I stay after, make long hours? Well, then you're looking at overtime and stuff like that. And at the end of the day, sometimes you got to be an asshole about how you run your business and stuff like yeah. that to be able to yeah. survive too. And at the end of the day, I got to worry about everybody else. I'm looking after everybody's family. So sometimes you got to say no to certain things that are not going to be very, your outcome's not going to be very good once you tell somebody no, but yeah. that's that's kind of part of the deal. Yeah, at least you guys are already fairly established enough that you can you can kind of have wiggle room. I'm sure anybody who tried to start something during COVID or right book, and it's it's just like the owner of my company starting the brewery down there, mm-hmm. and I think it was open for three days, it was, and yeah, the, yes. and the government said <laughs> yes. you got to shut that down. Yeah. Sorry, and it. You know, and then they're scrambling to have outdoor seating to try to get like eight people there. Yeah. And I like I remember that that whole time. And it's like, man, like you know, you put all this money and time and effort into something and then have somebody who has nothing to do with your local community tell you, sorry, but you we don't care, do you can't have it open. Yeah. It's like Yeah, like I I worked the entire time. We had COVID scares on job sites Mm -hmm. and we'd have to be sent home, but Mm -hmm. we'd go back the next day after it, quote unquote, it was cleaned. Yeah, Yeah. my ass. They they just let everybody go home and said, all right, we cleaned. And then we all came back and worked. But, you know, Dylan was with me through some of that stuff. But it's just, it's like us, like me working the whole time. It was like, what's even going on, man? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm out here. I'm going into. I can go into convenience stores. I can mm-hmm. go into Lowe's and Home Depot. I that, can go into that Walmart. Driving to work in the morning is pretty nice. One. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> when it when it started back up on like six ninety five and like two seventy, it was yeah. like you knew. Uh, like the, it was the work four ninety five. You could like go seventy miles an hour the whole way. Yeah. Yeah. That that all changing definitely stunk. But well, and I tell you, I mean, right now we're just we're working on how can we be innovative uh, these next six months the second half of this year how can we be innovative and how we how can we be on the cutting edge of business to make the things work when we gotta when we gotta start cutting our budget a little bit or having layoffs or if sales are lacking what can we do to market ourselves a little bit better and like i said earlier it's about educating our clients and stuff like that going into what we do every day and building brands doing podcasts doing youtube videos um a lot of these new things come down the line. Like, I don't know if you guys are interested in any NFTs or anything like that. Have you ever heard of them? I've but heard of they're them. Like, they're kind of like a, uh, uh, subsidized of Bitcoin, Dogecoin, and stuff like it's that. It's a way but, to hide money if you work for the mafia. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it's very interesting, though, going forward that, uh, I mean, a logo or something like that, that's going to be worth money. Um, I know there's restaurants and stuff now that are trading off of logos and stuff like that, that they only make so many of them logos. So they're going to be able to trade them and that's how the restaurant's going to make money and stuff. So they're going to get away from cash and stuff very quickly. That's scary on this. <laughs> Imagine the day when it's three bit, it's three Bitcoin to have your, uh, <laughs> your lawn mulched in. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy what, uh, I mean, people are drawing logos. There was that guy, um, he he'd been drawing for like eighty for eighty months or something like that or a couple years. He's been drawing and uh, he sold his drawing for like eighty million dollars. What? Yeah, 
And he's like, he Give lived in this little paper. apartment and whatever. Jeez, and and then they, they put it in a digital art. And I mean, this is kind of out there, but I mean, $80 million for artwork. And uh, that is actually insane. That That's where it's going now. That's, that's an NFT. And uh, that's, that's where I'm trying to learn that as much as I can, because people are going to start trading. Like you said, they're going to, the, the monster flower bed or to get their grass Holy right or going to trade for it. You'll be on the metaverse and it'll be Ward Business Group mulching your metaverse house. Yeah. Yep. I I wonder um I wonder what sort of correlation construction the construction business or landscaping business has with the internet and I understand social social media presence because like there's a guy I follow on Facebook who I can't remember the name of it, but the guy, when I was doing all the work in this studio, I followed the guy and I'd watch his videos on how to drywall. And he had like one or like how to set light switch or whatever. And he had like one minute quick clips with like a little bit of light music in the background. And he'd be like, all right, like this is the way I do this. And this is the way I would cut this with a router or with a saw or whatever. And like he had different ways. And so I can kind of see that it's like the NFT side that it's like, I don't, I don't know, but I know it's the future. I just can't. I'm not a visionary. I can't like <laughs> yeah. see what like what it would be in the future. I don't know. I, I I thought about it. I was like, should I just take my money out of like investments and buy land in the metaverse? Is that going to be? Mm-hmm. It's oh, like yeah. buying. It's like buying land in Baltimore County in 1950. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like maybe 30 years from now, I can like have a million dollar metaverse property <laughs> yeah it, the, the land grab they always talk about it even like literally land grab or like your internet land grab and stuff like that i'm um, just trying to think and brainstorm a little bit of like other stuff that's coming down the line but that, that's a big thing um I, I believe like i mean i don't know if anybody follows uh elon musk but the stuff that he's doing with ai and mm-hmm. like the the chips and stuff that are you're, you're going to be able to implant and stay alive forever and stuff i mean that's that's all coming down the pipeline for sure maybe be 100 oh, years or whatever but that, we're, as we're a, transitioning as, as a business owner you're looking at that and trying to transition your business to where it's going to follow that line and uh, there's always the bandwagon of people that are going to not want to do it up first, but how many people were with their iPhones nowadays? Nobody yeah. wanted an iPhone or nobody wanted to get on Facebook or yeah. social media at first, but now now our world our world revolves around that. Yeah. So Yeah, uh, I think I think Rogan just had um Mike Judge on the guy who made the idiocracy movie in two thousand six. Same guy who made Beavis and Butthead in the nineties. He made the idiocracy movie, which I've never seen. I've heard about it though. And uh they were talking and I I don't always listen to like that podcast, but if something sparks my interest, I will. And I saw what he did. I was like, oh, I want to hear about this. And so I listened a little bit and he was talking about how he had regrets about the Idiocracy movie. He was telling Joe Rogan about it. And he said, the reason I have regrets are like little things that we did that either I edited out that would have <laughs> stuck the landing or things I didn't push hard enough. He's like, the number one thing I didn't push hard enough was he had like when cell phones were just gaining traction, he actually had scenes of people just staring at phones. He had, and he had scenes of people just staring at like a random guy's ass on TV. Like one, it was like the ass movie and the, yeah. and, and they're like just staring at this random white dude's ass or whatever. And like, he, he's like, I, if I would have just pushed the, if I would have like went all out on those at the moment, it wouldn't have connected 
But right now, people would be re-watching that and being like, can you believe? Like, yeah. He's like, I was ahead of it. I just didn't even know I was ahead of it. He's like, I, I was making a joke. And now people... It it kind of disturbs me a little bit because I'm not a... I'm not a cell... I use my cell phone majority for social media for this, for the podcast. Yeah. And content. And it, you, just as you were talking about, like content and all that. But... I, like when I go out to a restaurant, my wife and I do not touch our phones. We like talk. We have our kids there. We're like enjoying the moment. Even when we didn't have kids, we'd go to the bar or whatever. Like we're having lunch, having dinner, and we're talking. And like we're watching people around us and everybody. There'd be 70-year-old couples scrolling Facebook, mm-hmm. trying to stare through the bottom of their their bifocals yeah. <laughs> on the, scrolling Facebook. And I'm like, what we would laugh like what is this like everybody's on their cell phone yeah and it kind of hurts me to see because i'm like you guys do, like somebody could walk in here with a gun out and like 80 percent of you wouldn't even know <laughs> no, it that's <laughs> like, crazy uh, yeah I, i'm always just like eh, it kind of it kind of freaks me out but that's the trend as you were saying so you got to follow those trends it's funny when i talk to business owners now and stuff like that i i try to help with marketing other businesses as well to build brand and uh I mean, we're selling visible fences off TikTok. We're selling landscaping jobs off TikTok. And these other business guys are like, well, what the hell is TikTok at first? And then they're <laughs> like, when they see it and you show them what it's all about, they're like, how in the world are you selling off this? And it's just, we're making videos every day and just throwing on TikTok. And yeah. they're 30 seconds and just it's insight into what we're doing and educates people. So they're, they're buying, they're wanting to set up. I um, had a TikTok video of a hardscaping job. We did steps and this customer that we mow grass for she's 70 years old and she's going through tiktok she says it's like watching tv she's going through there see a nice hardscaping uh steps and uh now we're out putting steps in for her so it's it's crazy well kurt that was in here the other week my buddy kurt he uh he goes down to arkansas and he hunts with a guide that he's hunted with for years so they already have the inn and i didn't know it but like with these people it takes the inn or you have to set up maybe like two years out and this guy he's telling me this guy's tiktok famous and i'm like okay he's like yeah that's how they've gotten so huge like they they have this one kid in the family of guides has a tiktok got tiktok famous because he shoots an old pump action beat up 870 and like make joke videos out of it and they got he got so TikTok famous that the company itself, just through TikTok, is booked completely out. <laughs> like you can't get in. You gotta be the who's Jesus. who to get in. And it costs more now. Like they have completely elevated their their rinky dink in the swamps of Arkansas business, completely elevated it because they this guy had tick they were good before, but like this guy did TikTok. And now you can't even get in. Like you got to be in the crowd to get in now because people are like tagging their friends and every video, like we got to go to this one. We got to go. We got this guy like this. And my buddy hunts with that guy. And he said, they just bust each other's balls the whole time (laughs) and like talk shit. And he said, they're the coolest people in the world. You never would know that this guy is TikTok famous. And he sent me a podcast, a duck hunting podcast a month ago and was like, this is the guy I hunt with. And he was on there talking about, they were talking about how TikTok famous he was. Yeah. It was just crazy to me. Next uh, Duck Dynasty going on there. I'll tell you what, you can learn some shit off TikTok, though. 
there's a lot of mechanics and stuff on there showing little tricks and trades. I've, I've and, learned like cooking things. Like I, it's, you know, I'll be on there yeah. and I, I don't get on, I probably get on once a day for about a minute. And the, the, only, like, I wouldn't say the only reason I do, but like majority of the reason I do is if I have video content, I'm editing it up and putting it on there. But a lot of times I'll just get on for like a minute or two and it's a mental thing. I literally tell myself people get addicted to this. Like you can look a little bit, but I, my algorithm is like trucks, cars, hunting, yeah. like stuff <laughs> like that and construction. And so when I see, I go in there and I see the videos and there'll be like laugh out loud, hilarious videos of a guy who just does something stupid. And oh, yeah. you look and videos. it's like 129,000 views. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that is ridiculous, man. <laughs> I got a video of uh, one of our combines taking out our mailbox at the farm. And that video got probably like 129,000 views. And it was only 10 seconds of the freaking combine taking out the mailbox. But people loved it, man. It was crazy. But that that's the way. Uh, I mean, and short videos is the way to go now. When you're when you're marketing and branding and stuff, yeah. short, short videos. I mean, you only got a little bit of attention span for somebody to sit there and they're scrolling through their phone. That was one thing at first, uh, shout out to Chris over at 3B, but we tried to do, buddy of mine, we we tried to do this thing where we, us and a whole group of guys, fishermen, hunters, we, as a community on Instagram, we're going to do these videos as posts that were going to be like a minute to, it could have been 10 minutes long of, we called it, what's in our bag, what's in your bag? And it was like, we would take our duck hunting bag and here's what here's the 10 items and i would we'd explain it i made a 10 minute video one day sitting right at this table propped my phone up had good lighting made a video and the quality was really good and i edited it and put like an intro on it and i'm like damn this thing's sweet yeah and it got like eight likes because (laughs) nobody even makes it past the intro and Mm -hmm. i was like all right i i need to rethink the way i do things so now my videos will be at most i'm shooting for like a minute and i'm and i'm trying to only explain like one thing and then the idea is take the blind bag and do the same segment for for like 30 seconds to a minute and then only do one thing and then that gives you enough content to run for two months if you wanted to. Mm. I just was never the type of person because as I said, I don't get on my phone that much that I wasn't ever normally the type of person who understood social media. When I started the podcast, I had to learn it on the fly. And there's been a lot of ups and downs for me and a lot of being a sucker and doing the wrong stuff. But now I'm 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 getting it. Like I have things in a groove. I know that these are the times at night I need to post these are the days that make like Sunday night, you post Sunday night at 7 PM. Like it's like the, there's these times there's this content, higher quality, you know, snippets and things like that, or funny little snippets can be a big deal. So that's, that's the whole thing now. And I'm trying to guide myself to be that because I know that I'm not going to get any interaction any other way. I, I like to, uh, one of our next kind of stages of our business is to have somebody pretty much like a film crew follow us around all day long, just filming stuff because you, you just don't know when the good stuff's going to happen mm-hmm. and the content that's going to 
you're going to create. Um, but a lot of people, I mean, yeah, they tell us to go mulch a flower bed, but do you really know the work that goes through it? And somebody says, oh, it's only going to take a couple of hours to do that. Yeah, a couple of hours is 10 hour a day to, to mulch everybody's flower bed yeah, you know, a right. couple of days. So, I mean, to have somebody filming us, I mean, you don't want to take away the guys that are working and stuff like that. So having somebody to film you and just like you said, you get all this content, you film for a week, you got a year's worth of content right there. Yeah. You can break it down in little videos, stories, and stuff like that, YouTube channels and TikTok videos. So that, that's kind of our next game or next stages of marketing and building our brand and stuff like that. So it's exciting. With this being content itself and, and kind of – I don't call this a business. I just call it a podcast because mm-hmm. it it, it legitimate I'm – not, I'm not doing something that is – I'm not mulching people's flower beds with right. those. I have a day job. So I'm not I'm not like, <laughs> but when I, with this, it's all content anyway. So it connects better with people for me to get better at social media. Mm-hmm. And I do notice when I do well on social media, my followers boost, my connections boost. Like the guy that I just had drop on Wednesday was a uh, bluebird waterfowl. A guy from San Francisco, California, that guy reached out to me. And he was just on the Dr. Duck podcast two weeks ago, which Dr. Duck podcast is Mossy Oaks guy. Like he's, he has his own, uh, he's the guy who first made the backpack blind bags, like that you hang off trees in Arkansas. And like, yeah, he, he's huge. He has a ton of listeners every episode, maybe one of the biggest waterfowl, probably one of the biggest waterfowl podcasts in the U S and in the world. And, he reached out and hit me up, and I'm like, "Oh, you're hitting me up for this because it's like you were just doing the Doctor Duck podcast." I got so that was kind of cool, and I, it, so I've made enough branding decisions and connections that yeah, I kind of people see me on the algorithm instead of me reaching out to everybody. People see me. Yeah, no, that's that had to have felt good though. Oh yeah, that, that's no, that's it, pretty it, big. it did, it did for sure, but it's just um it's a really cool thing to now be able to kind of reap the benefits of some of, but I, I put in like the amount of time just making content that I have. It's like, sometimes I think I'm like, I'm an idiot. Like I spend so much time (laughs) making this content, but it has worked for me. It's been really cool to like make those connections. No, and that's what it's all about, building the relationships and um, connections. Because I mean, you just, I mean, even if that connection helps you out five years from now, it's still worth it in the yeah. long run. So yeah. uh, that, I mean, that's as far as business. Uh, I've really come to learn. Like I always thought, it was just all oh, you market or you wait for people to come to you. You go put in the work and build those relationships. And even at the end of the day, a lot of people like to go to the bar and stuff like that. You're you're building relationships that's yeah. going to help you out down the road there. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you had, we had talked on the phone the other day, and you and you said uh, you said that you do some waterfowl hunting. Uh, what's that all about? Yeah, well, I mean, as a business owner, I mean, business is twenty four seven, so you don't always get to hunt as much as you'd like to, and stuff like that. And I really grew up around like trap shooting and skeet and stuff like that, and so waterfowl was always a big interest of mine. And um, growing up around here on the Monoxy River and being close to the Chesapeake Bay and um, Delaware with the snow geese and stuff like that. It's uh, it really, I mean, for me, it was always exciting because you go with a bunch of buddies, you can yep. shoot the shit in the morning and yeah. just kind of hang out. And I'm always a morning person. So getting out there, I mean, depends on what you're doing, snow geese or 
Canadian geese, I mean, you're out there three or four o'clock setting up decoys and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, um, and I was, I got the farming background, so we were always able to hit the hot spots and stuff like that. So that's always been a big interest of mine and, uh, just kind of sucks. I mean, if you're what west of, um, 97, you can shoot no, a couple. Is that 31? Five, five, I think five it's five, five wintertime, eight yeah. early. So, I mean, it kind of sucks. A lot of our hunting's actually been east um yeah one bird limit that kind of sucks and uh, a lot of guys saying that's that's got to do with something up north where i think their bird limits are pretty high up north so by the time, yeah. time they migrate down here it, it puts a hurting on us but um but yeah i've been past couple of years i've been going to texas and hunting snow geese um good friend of ours out of dallas with invisible fence world uh we would always go to west texas and hunt snow geese and i never knew it but the guys that we were hunting with down there say the snow geese fly out of mexico and they'll fly up to 22 24 hours before Mm -hmm. they'll actually land in the panhandle and they'll feed before they go up to uh the the northern part of the united states or go into canada and that's always been a cool hunt so i mean when you go to west texas if you've never been to west texas and of course anybody that lives down there knows it but you want to take your winter clothes you want to take your spring clothes you want to take your summer clothes you want to take your fall clothes because it freaking from you you get out there you start setting up decoys three or four o'clock in the morning and it is freaking cold winds blowing yeah i've always heard it that's what a lot of the mexican guys i know they say like mexico warm and they'll be like nah dude nighttime nighttime is cold, cold. Yeah, i mean it's almost like a desert some some of those places it's so flat and the wind's blowing uh, but by freaking lunchtime, you are down to your shorts and T-shirt, and you better put some sunscreen on, or you'll be burned like a tortito by the end of the day. So, uh, freaking, and then you'll go start going back into the night. But uh, that is a pretty cool hunt. I mean, I, I go for just the sea of the land and and stuff like that. But I mean, it's it's not like down here on the eastern shore. I feel like the eastern shore the past couple of years, snow goose hunting with the, we were talking about the uh, building of developments and stuff like that. Guys are chasing those snow geese around yep. and you can never pinpoint them. Yep. You're, you're hopping around. You feel like you're doing something illegal. I feel like most people nowadays on the shore, especially Delaware area, from what I've heard are almost always shooting stragglers. They're, they're never mm-hmm. shooting groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that almost seems like the story for everybody now. And, and, and down in Texas, it's kind of hard hunting down there. I mean, you're either going to get a big group on you or, I mean, you're not going to get anything. So we've gone down there a couple of years and not got nothing. And it's really about time in the season now. And it depends on how the weather's moving down there, how they're migrating and stuff like that. But it's always an interesting hunt. And we, uh, one year, um, we got a bird from Siberia, Russia down there, which what? was crazy. It was a band bird from Siberia, Russia. That is unreal how it's i mean just unreal how they travel and then uh i mean the guys that we hunt with we were part of like sports dog uh radio systems corporation and stuff like that Mm -hmm. the sports dog brand um a lot of guys down there were trial and error on dogs and stuff like that testing products so it was cool to see them in operation and some of the dogs down there are just amazing uh the one guy that we were good friends with his dog is not only a hunting dog but he smells his uh the guy's blood sugar so anytime the guy's blood sugar gets oh, low the dog, dog. yeah the dog will let him know that hey your sugar's getting low and that dog goes anywhere we were in, in a, the nicest steakhouse in freaking amarillo texas and the dog was laying underneath his seat and wouldn't even move that's insane <laughs> it, that's is crazy. it is crazy what <laughs> dogs can do 
and and they put on a show. Mine just pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> they put on, he put on a show too with them that night because the guys, like the big engineers, were there for Sports Dog, and he's like, "You want to see what this product does?" And they're like, "Yeah, yeah." So the, we were in this restaurant. He went out to the salad bar. He took the e collar and beeped the dog, and the dog went out and was walking through the restaurant. And uh, everybody's like poking up at their table, we're like, "What the heck's this dog walking through this?" restaurant and here he, the dog walked out and found bobby out at the the uh salad bar and it's it just it's pretty cool for a dog to do that and That's to see insane. all that and it, i mean all he did was beep him but um that dog there in particular i seen him do uh shoot it must have been a it had to be at least three quarters of a mile to a mile retrieve there was a bird straggler bird that somebody got and uh i mean we found the bird luckily by binoculars and he maybe one whistle blow that dog was out there getting that three quarters of a mile and usually like normal dogs that takes three or four whistle blows before you can get them out mm-hmm. there and uh here this dog i mean it's flat as could be it's prairie ground flat as could be just with maybe a little bit of a knoll and he got that dog up on that knoll and that dog seen that bird and and everybody asked him he's like man how'd you get the dog to do that and he goes well the dog's freaking nine years old and it took me nine years worth of training to get that dog to do something like that but right I always like that dog. Uh, that was a good dog. It was a golden retriever. That was a good dog to hunt with. Oh my gosh! Yeah, te- Texas is. Uh, have you ever duck hunted down there? No, I haven't. Because I've talked to guys through the podcast multiple, and they've all been like, "Yeah, duck hunting's pretty good down here." And they start telling me the numbers they shoot like every time, like what East Texas, West Texas, every time they go out, and I'm like, "Yeah, like I'll go out and maybe kill one or two. <laughs> and they're like. Like if I if it's a good day I kill four. <laughs> They're like, nah, yeah. Normally we'll kill like redheads, mallards, like pintails, teal. Like they're naming all these divers off. I'm like, yeah. Like I'm I might kill two mallards or two. Mer- I might kill two common mergansers on the monoxy if I'm lucky. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, that's well, about it. And that's what surprised me too down there. I mean, it, I, it don't surprise me the ducks down there are. It, it's a really good hunting experience down there with them because it sounds like they fl- they migrate out of Mexico too. And um, we started seeing them because we were catching the back end of the migration on snowbirds, and you could see the ducks starting to move in, and they were getting on the ponds and stuff like that. So I can imagine that's pretty good hunting. Yeah, they. I've always heard that Texas is just Texas is just a different country, <laughs> almost really. Yeah, but it really is. I. I mean, the one guy I talked to uh, from American Trigger Poolers, that guy is from Australia. And loved the outdoors and moved to Texas. And when I asked him why, he said, well, because Australia was uh, kind of getting weird with gun laws. So I just moved to America and <laughs> through connections I had. And now I work here in America and own a business. And I'm like, it's pretty wild that a guy from Australia set up a company in Texas called American Trigger Pullers. <laughs> like, That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean, with, with partners. But it, I mean, just a really cool, that, air, that whole area is really cool. And, and a lot of hog hunters down there. And, that's, that's a whole nother that's beast. One thing I want to do. I, I know. I know a lot of those guys I talked to about hog hunting were like, "No, it's not." He's like, "It's not just we go out to hunt. Like the farmers want them exterminated like groundhogs, and we go oh, out yeah. and try to exterminate them, not hunt them." And I was like, "Oh!" And he said it on the podcast. And I'm like, "Oh!" And he's like, "Yeah, no. Let it be known that it is such an issue. We're not filling our freezer. We are filling our freezer with these on the first hunt, mm-hmm. and then the 80th hunt of the year." we're still having to bury some of them because it's too hot and yeah. we got to get rid of them anyway. And they're like a groundhog. And I'm like, Oh Jesus. Like they're everywhere down there. But 
Yeah, last time we were down in uh, Dallas with them guys. We uh, on on our way home, we uh, went to Bobby's farm, and uh, that's what we did hog hunt. And uh, I mean, like you said, they're like either like groundhogs or like freaking ants. They're just everywhere. And we were on the backside, and he he said he's been seeing them. And of course, we didn't really have high hopes that we would get a bunch, but uh, we went down through like a gully, and sure enough, we popped up like fifty of them. They just went everywhere like ants. Freaking Jeez, everybody jumps geez. off the freaking players, and we're just starting to shoot at these son of a bitches. And uh, <laughs> it, it was funny because then they went to the back hedgerow, and uh, and I didn't think I was going to really get into hog hunting as much as I did at that moment. But freaking they went up to the, this back hedgerow. It was again Texas prairie ground, flat. He uses most of his for hay ground, but they popped out of this this ditch, and that's when we started shooting at him. Got a couple of them, and then the rest of them went back along the hedgerow. And so he's like, he's like, why don't you go back? Bobby's like, why don't you go back there along that hedgerow and see if you can stir them back up and push them back towards us? And I was like, well, all right. And I got halfway to the hedgerow thinking, all right, well, I left the gun back at the the Polaris. So I said, well, what, I guess uh, my pocket knife's going to do, I guess, if one of these things, because they, they're pretty aggressive creatures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, we didn't find any when I got back there, but I was like, man, son of a bitch, am I going to have to wrestle with this pig or something like that and stab <laughs> it with a pocket knife or whatever? And he's like, yes, I'll just go back there with the hedgerow and run them around. But that was a pretty cool experience, though, so the uh, hog hunting there. But, I mean, every once in a while we would see helicopters flying around. They're shooting them from the helicopter and I stuff like that. that would be, that's like a bucket list thing for me to go freaking in a helicopter. But, I mean, if like you see AR. the damage they do, it's just insane what they do to crop fields and stuff like that with credence clearwater revival playing like (laughs) mowing mowing hogs down out there yeah i so do you do any uh water fountain up here at all really or you kind of don't get to do it or yeah buddy of mine uh ethan james i don't know if i I know um i've been hunting with kurt a couple times but we try to do some local stuff around here like i said ends up being on the east side of 97 for one bird limit but yeah. usually like um it's been a tradition to either go out on christmas or uh, new year's we go out and uh hunt a couple local ponds and stuff like that so um every once in a while we'll try to get over to our farms but it's just so dang hard they used to go into uh, lehigh cement quarry all the time i don't see them going in there as much anymore but there was hundreds of them that would go in there and usually really? you, can, you can follow them out of there and they would land in a lot of different fields and you can track them down but i think everybody I, everybody hunted sam's I, yeah my, yeah my dad I, I used to hunt the nola sam's and just watch them get up and come to us uh-huh. like, that, those are good days like my dad's back porch you look out my dad's back porch the quarry and then the factory is mm-hmm. right there i mean there's been a couple of years that we've watched thousands upon thousands. Well, this this of is these. a, I don't know if you noticed on the map, there's a quarry right there. There's a, there's a 500 foot quarry wall right there behind my house. Yeah. When I looked up to your place here, I was wondering when you're going to fall off the edge here. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's literally, I shot a deer and died on the top of the cliff over there. But uh, yeah, that the geese and ducks and stuff that come out of here are pretty wild too. Yeah. And this is nothing like Lehigh, but those might be hundred geese and, it's such a fall. You'll watch them actually tornado out of my mm. tree stand. I'll be deer hunting and watch them like start tornadoing, and you can still hear them honking as they're going down, <laughs> down, down, down. But yeah, the 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 Lehigh Quarry and all was was always a huge thing because the water stayed open. Mm-hmm. So in the winter time, when nice everything spot. else was frozen, we'd be in a cornfield, five degrees shivering, 
waiting for them to get up. And you'd hear them over there start honking. Like, oh, oh, nope, they haven't gotten up yet. <laughs> Laying in layout blinds and shit. But yeah, you used to be able to track them and figure it out what when what time they were leaving and stuff like that. But like I said, the past couple of years I haven't seen them doing that. I don't know what the deal is there. Or if they got something going on in Lehigh that's changed it up for them. Or, yeah. Or what, but once they put the conveyor in, maybe some of the water level they mm-hmm. drop some of the water levels or something. But yeah, I've always tried to hunt around here and stuff like that. It's hard to get down on the eastern shore a lot to, to get set up for that for what I do. But um, it's been probably two or three years before since I've been snow goose hunting down there. So, um, but they usually roll in. I lived on the eastern shore for six years, and they would start rolling in right after Thanksgiving. And uh, they would be there until March. And it's was, it was just crazy them watching them snow geese demolish cover crop fields and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. They were bare by March. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we've driven out like uh, we've driven out that way and just be driving down and look over in a field and make, oh my gosh. And just one group Boy. lifted 20 yeah. yards off and getting ready to land again the next field. And you just see like a thousand geese eating everything. I'm like, oh my. Yeah, and it's not like 10 The acres. winter wheat's gone. It's not like 10 <laughs> acres of winter wheat that's gone. It's 100 acres gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're definitely a nuisance bird. And one cool thing, too, is I uh, heard a while back that it's it's a cool thing. It's not cool for the eastern shore farmers, but speckle bellies are actually starting to grow at the rate that snow geese did before they got prevalent everywhere. And so the specks that are in the central flyway are there is such a number of them that now they're starting to push this way and uh, a buddy of mine andrew who lives out like below pittsburgh area he actually had speckle he saw speckle bellies on the river over there where they hunt uh this past year and they are growing in number so that's that if you're a goose hunter that's a cool thing because we're probably going to have specs in the next, I'd say, 10 years. We might have an actual specs. number of specs around to be able to hunt. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool to see. Yeah. They all, they always said they're rats of the skies, though. <laughs> I talked to a guy, actually, a guy from uh, Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, owns Blind Grass Camo uh, Systems, and uh, he'll, he'll be next Wednesday's show. But, yeah, I talked to him this Wednesday night. And he was telling me the speckle bellies are his favorite thing to hunt above ducks, above everything. And I asked him why. And he's like, not only are they super vocal, they don't have Canada's down there. And he's like, so we don't have Canada's. He's like, but I've always heard specs are like residential Canada's because you can like burn a call up and then turn them and you can get them to dump. He's like, but also he's like, they taste awesome. He's like, they're my favorite thing to eat. And I'm like, really? Cause I've heard, I've always heard mixed reviews on geese especially snow geese some people love them but most people are like no i don't really want to eat snow geese but specs i think are like the same thing they eat they probably eat the same way mm-hmm. but they kill them off rice fields and stuff down there and he said they're my favorite man he's like they're, they're the best thing to cook they're they're yeah. awesome they're nice next to uh pile of mashed potatoes and gravy mm-hmm. that's what he said he, he said man you throw those on the smoker and it's he's like they're, mm-hmm. they're the best i'm like really and i also speckled bellies are a really pretty goose so it would they be cool to, i know a guy who shot one in hampstead eight years ago and it was one single with a group of canadas and it was a wild speckle belly 
But um, yeah, and, I, have, I have to laugh when they fly over Snoogies fly over here. Everybody's like, "Oh, what are they?" Yeah, <laughs> you don't see them very well, often around here. We had tundra swans well, fly over when we were well, uh, duck hunting the one year on the Monoxy. Yeah, well, it made off Bullfrog Road yeah. in Tawnytown. Like we we've been standing there drinking beer and here and like look up and there's tundra swans. <laughs> but that's that's happened like the last five years. Mm-hmm. I bet like once a year we'll just see them. It's like oh shit, like Sen- the, yeah, there's Sen- some tundra swans up here. On the farm that we were talking about earlier, I think I seen snow a group a big group of snow geese maybe twice in the eleven years that I've been up here. Usually, you gotta get binoculars to see them when they're around here. They're yeah. they're migrating south pretty quick. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen them down around like Anne Arundel County, Baltimore County on job sites, and you hear them and look up like I, like we were in White Marsh. Remember Baltimore Crossroads that yeah, job? Yeah. We were in White Marsh for a long time and. Throughout the winter, we were pumping ponds down, and every day we would just look up, and the sky would be full of them every day, like all day long. And they were migrating, but I I enjoy goose hunting. I that's how I started waterfowl hunting. But I that layout blind land over there has not been in a field since I was probably mid twenties. Like I, <laughs> I'm a duck hunter now. Like I I really only really duck hunt now, and that's. That's not a product of I don't like shooting geese. It's a product of I used to shoot so many geese and not ducks, and then they were like residual. Like we'd be on a pond shooting ducks or uh, shooting Canada's, and mallards would pitch in. And be like, damn, we got some mallards, or we got a hooded merganser. Now I'm like watching Woody's like pitch in at what seems like a hundred miles an hour. It's like that's what I want. Yeah, that's a general. <laughs> I like when they I like when they turn the corner and you see them in the corner. You're like, oh shit. Like it, yeah, that's, that's normally with geese, you hear or see them coming and you got to work them with ducks. It might be like right there they are and they're on top of you. And that's, that's kind of why I fell in love with that. But I do love goose hunting. That's for sure. Yeah. Not, I grew up doing, like I said, trap shooting and stuff like that. Shooting the heart of Maryland, shooting the state, uh, shooting here in Maryland. That's always been fun for me. And, uh, it just carried right on over. So, uh, I, I always had to laugh. The short specs, I always hunted with them and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I always remember. I hunted with him a few times. I remember Gus. He was cussing us out one morning. He's like, "You guys are a bunch of idiots going out there at five degree weather and the wind's blowing ten miles an hour. You think you're really going to get something?" I said, "Oh yeah, we're going to get something." Yeah. <laughs> no, these are the mornings, man. Yeah, exactly. These are the the mornings where you're like, "Do we go clean the frost off those decoys or not?" Like, yeah. "Oh, here come the geese!" Like mm-hmm. th- those those were the I remember hunting Sam's and just being like, "Those geese would come off Lehigh," and you'd be like. We got one chance at this, mm-hmm. and, and then you see like one five pack turn. You're like, "Oh my god, here they go!" Yeah, the two hours we spent this morning setting decoys. Yeah, here yep. we go. <laughs> yeah, that was so exciting. But you know, when one guy would sleep in or something like that, then you knew you might as well going back to bed or something like that. That was going to turn your hunt into shit real quick. Yeah, I also hunted with a few guys who were just like that, and they would want to show up at like six thirty. And I would have set all the decoys, and then I end up falling asleep in my layout blind. They're the ones shooting birds anyway. <laughs> so I got to tell a story. We we one guy I hunted with. I would always have to wake him up. And he'd be like, "All right, be there at four o'clock in the morning." I'd be there at four o'clock in the morning, and I'd sit there and wait in the truck, wait in the truck. He never never showed up. So I knock on the door, bang on the door, try to call him, no answer. So it it would take me half hour, forty five minutes before I get him up and get him out of bed. And I'm and then it, by this time it's five o'clock, five thirty, and then of course it's another half hour to the field. 
And then you're like, I mean, I'm second guessing myself. Like, might as well just go back to bed or whatever. Call this day a quit on hunting. Put five silhouettes out. <laughs> yeah. And so, and I was like, I can just tell this day's going to be shit from the get go. Of course, we uh, he had everything loaded up, and we were going down the road and stuff like that. And I mean, we had the decoys piled up because we were going to hit this big field, and there was a pond off to the side. This was up in Keymar area um towards the greenhouse and we had a good good field to hit i mean we've been seeing the geese come in and out every day and stuff like that he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna bring everything we got just to see what what we can do just kind of trial and error test things out and we were halfway to the place and he had this old wrinkly little no bigger than this table like wheel wheelbarrow sized trailer hooked to his truck and uh had like fence pegged fence posts holding decoys in and stuff like that but they were stacked in there and uh i look in the mirror and the trailer goes off to the left on this turn the opposite way of what we were going (laughs) meanwhile so meanwhile i'm kind of half pissed because he was sleeping in with with like a thousand two thousand dollars worth of decoys yep two thousand dollars worth of decoys (laughs) and here this trailer goes to the left and i just see it go across the trailer or go across the field this trailer going across the field <laughs> as we go around this turn i'm like well this is just and decoys are just popping out left and right f- flying around and stuff like that and here and then it finally hits a ditch and spills into this field and we were like what in the hell just happened well the whole hitch come out of this trailer Oh around this God. turn and sent just like it looked like a crate or a box this freaking trailer just went right across the field and, and it was like half raining and stuff like that so it just like then we had to go pick up all these decoys out of the mud and stuff like that well he he goes to back his truck around to hook this trailer back up i don't know how we got the hitch to go back in the trailer or whatever i don't know how we were going to try to make it to the there to the field but he put it. He goes, oh shit, and puts it in park. When that happened, he puts his coffee up on the dash. Well, he goes to back his truck up, puts it in reverse. The coffee goes all over the inside of his truck. Oh my I'm like, God. we just need to go back to bed. Like that was the worst hunting experience <laughs> I've ever had. And I was like, I just can't believe what happened. It was crazy. But I always tell that story. You, everybody's got one of them stories. Yeah, that that's the. Uh, it's like back when I when I goose hunted. And I was like mid teens when I when I started, and like by my late teens, I was in high school party mode. So I didn't miss a day of hunting. I just only got three hours of sleep every time I went. And there were many a morning where I was going seventy miles an hour down some back road outside of Union Bridge or Tony Town. Like, all right, I'm gonna get to this pond. We're only gonna set eight decoys. Uh, I'm probably gonna puke. Let's just let's just get out of here. And, some of those hunts were some of my best hunts. Yeah. <laughs> because you'd be you'd be like, I don't even care. I'm not even calling at these geese. And somebody would pick up a flag and be like, here they come, be like, oh shit. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it'd be some of those would be the, the best hunts you had all year. Just, yeah, your less prepared hunts were yeah. the better ones. I mean, I can remember sitting up, I think we took like a like a, a stand-up blind, just put it out there in the field for a couple minutes and shot a limit real quick. That was some of our like because we were out farming and working in the fields and we were like seeing all these geese come through. We were like, well shit, just we'll throw a blind out and grab a gun real quick out of the truck. That was some of our best hunts. And you had, like you said, four or five silhouettes just sitting out there and hell, they were some of our best hunts. We've we've had them come in. We had it all kind of planned out a little bit, but we had them come in behind us one time. And, it, I mean, it was just dozens after dozens just coming right behind us. And I think all we had was some straw bales set out. And, hell, we were 
done in five minutes. Jeez. It was pretty sweet. Yeah, I've I've definitely had a lot of actually one morning over at Sam's, I was uh I was laying in my layout blind on the creek and we were we were right, right off 75. And I'm lay I'm laying in there. We had decoys all over full buys around it. And uh I there was one of those mornings and I'm laying in my layout blind and I fall asleep and I I wake up, I don't know if I was dreaming or what, but I remember being in like still kind of asleep, but hearing like, <laughs> and I just woke up and like peeked through the mesh on my layout blind. And there were two mallards standing right in the middle of the decoys right in front of us. Like it's just, I, I have so many memories of vague memories of, of, I think that morning my buddy leaned over and his phone fell right in the Creek oh, and we couldn't find it. And I called it and it was going in the water while we were standing there. But yeah, we, we've had a ton of like really cool uh, hunts like that. Well, I think that's the reason that I was so drawn to goose hunting was like, if if you're like, if you're like, I shot the buck right there on like four hours of sleep, but I like, if you're with your buddies and you're all just like, we shouldn't have went to the bar last night. <laughs> I knew having that eighth beer wasn't the move. We should have had water. We should have went to sleep at 10. And it was midnight when we went to sleep and we all feel like shit. And we're all setting decoys at 4 30. We're like, oh, this is this is ridiculous. And then we would have these like 10 plus bird hunts. And I was like, all right. Like yeah. by the time you get out of there, you're jacked up on yeah. co- all the coffee you drank mm-hmm. and yeah. then the birds you killed. And you go home and take a nice nap after you work the birds up. So it's, <laughs> those are always cool hunts, man. I, I, I like waterfowl hunting for that reason, is that camaraderie. I'm a hardcore hunter in, in every sense, but the camaraderie of waterfowl hunting has not only allowed me to hunt, but also given me an avenue where I don't just go when I'm waterfowl hunting, I'm not just going hunting. I'm like going with my buddies. Mm -hmm. So that's, what's so cool about that because it might be middle of deer season. And I've put in 10, 15 sits and just drug out. And I'm like, God, I thought like this was a set. This is, and then I go out waterfowl hunting and I don't even, we might be in Haver to grace set 120 decoys on long lines. And I'm just, having fun with my buddies out there like it's yeah we might only kill three birds but i'm just having fun with the guys it's not at all about sitting in a tree stand and being dead silent dead still like yeah that's exactly why i got drawn to it yeah i mean even when we went to texas i mean at the end of the day you're traveling and stuff like that but we were able to make a big feast make a big dinner and just hang out with a bunch of guys tell stories and Mm -hmm. stuff like that we were able to meet a bunch of guys from texas and new mexico and stuff like that so it was very rewarding not just for the hunt like like i said earlier halftime i like just going just for the trip of going down there and hanging out with everybody seeing everybody but uh that that's the that's what makes it hunting i think yes yeah for sure well uh I guess we'll got over an hour. We'll go ahead and hop <laughs> off, and uh, it was good having you on. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity. Uh, yeah, actually, nice to do it again. Yeah, it was a good meeting. Yeah, I'm glad we got to sit down and do this. And yeah, we'll we'll do it anytime. I I'm open book. Um, most people, I'm actually a little more booked up right now than normal, which is a cool thing. But it's uh it's nice to get new people in and you know make those connections like we were talking about earlier. And yeah. Whenever you want to come on, man, it's this waterfowl season, maybe like in the, in waterfowl season or like, we'll, we'll, 
do something have a have a waterfowl show or something yeah absolutely no it'd be so, cool and i uh, appreciate the opportunity and no I, I wish you success with everything here yeah i appreciate it and uh, everybody who needs anything done any construction work any landscape work hardscape softscape whatever kind of scape you just you just call it <laughs> justin Ward. <laughs> Ward this is great. it works all right we're all we'll about see opportunities. y'all thanks